lovers, this is Dr. Candace Nicole with How to Love a Human. You can follow me and the How to Love a Human project on Facebook and Instagram at Dr. Candace Nicole and HowToLoveAHuman.com, where I welcome your contribution to the conversation. Today, I'm dialoguing with Bedford, and I appreciate all you lovers out there for taking this journey with me to discover. Hey everyone, today on How to Love a Human, I am with Dr. Bedford Palmer of Naming It Podcast, and he co-hosts this show with Dr. Lamisha Hill. Hey Bedford, how are you? What up, what up, what up? Uh, I'm doing good. How are you? I'm happy to hear that you're doing well. I'm doing well. I'm doing good. I'm doing great. All of those. (laughs) So you can find the Naming It podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and Blog Talk Radio. And you can and should find it because it will be sure to bless your life in a number of ways. I hope it, you know, I just hope that that folks would enjoy it and like they'd be able to, um, you know, learn a little bit about how to talk about social justice and, and, and approach those issues um, in a way that are actually, um, most people think they're destructive, but I think that you actually build, you know. So mm-hmm. um, our, our whole mission is calling out the elephant in the room and uh, looking at the intersections of social justice, psychology, and blackness. Uh, so yeah, folks, come out, join our neighbors. Um where you, look, you Google us, we're the first ones, uh, just put Naming It in Google, you can find us. Uh, come to our website, check us out on Twitter at Naming It uh, Podcasts, iTunes, it's not iTunes, yeah, iTunes, IG, I'm trying to use the, the what, what the kids say now, IG, <laughs> instead of saying Instagram. What the kids say, um, is that what they say? You know, that's what they, apparently. Oh, um, well, I need they, to learn, they, they, too. they don't say Facebook, but, I'm on, but we're on Facebook, too, so. <laughs> Apparently, I've been told that that's for old people, and I guess I got a couple gray hairs now. So we're we're old people. We are old people now. Okay. You ain't wait, can you ain't old? I'm not. Don't, don't try to. I don't think so. I'm pretty sure you're. Uh, you you just you just got got done and stuff. I mean, I know it don't. I know black don't crack. It don't. But I mean, come on, <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm almost forty, so. <laughs> I mean, I feel like anything in the mid thirties is almost forty. So hey. It all feels yeah, like that's almost. Because, that's because you on that early mid thirties. <laughs> you ain't feeling it yet. <laughs> when, it, when, when, when that when when you get down less than five hundred days, you start. Let's let's see what what happens. That's a good point. That's a good point. So I'm gonna start with my non-researchy question first. Okay, non-researchy. Let's go. Are you feeling human or human as fuck today? Half. <laughs> <laughs> take your time Am take I your human? time um i would go with um human as f mm-hmm. um say more break I, it down for me i mean i think human is just like regular right so i mean if you're if you're living in your experience if you're being in your moment and you're like feeling everything around you i mean my feet are a little bit cold mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know uh you know the 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 day is is where it's it's raining today in the uh, in the Bay Area, which is actually nice. I like being on the inside when when it's raining, but yeah. you know that brings in all kinds of different uh, ways to feel the day. You know where it's a little bit cold, so you might want a blanket or you want to put on like a jacket or socks or whatever inside. Or you know, I just got my my cup of coffee and I I spend time in the morning 
Like uh, I grind my own beans. I, I take time and care in building that. That's some mindful and, uh, coffee practice right there. Every day, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, it, it helps. Um, you know, to feel centered uh, and to just just kind of start off with a good routine. Um, I try to be aware, you know, of what's going on around me. I, I check the news out. I'm looking at my my news feeds. I don't avoid that because. Uh, yeah, I mean, if you're going to be really human, if you're really going to participate, then you got to have as much information as possible mm. and you got to cope with it. You know, you can't put your head in the sand. So, yeah, human as fuck. That's where I'm at. Right. So it means you're feeling everything. You're open to the potential to feel all that the human experience has to offer you. Yeah. Yeah. All I right. think so. That's a good question. I like that. Mm-hmm. Is that in therapy? No, I don't. This is just specifically for how to love a human. Okay. <laughs> you you can right, use right, it in therapy right. if you want to. Though. <laughs> you can definitely pull that out with the client. Let me know how it goes. <laughs> with uh-huh. the de-identified uh-huh. data. <laughs> right, 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 right. Speaking of identities, though, so what are your most salient identities? Share those with me. Who are you? That's a, that's a, that's a good question. That's a pretty fundamental. And a lot of people don't quite understand how that works. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say for me, my most salient, um, of the di- different intersections, um, are, I mean, obviously, you know, I'm saying obviously, but nobody can see me mm-hmm. through the radio. So, um, you know, I'm a black person, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm also a man. I don't think that those two things are one identity, but mm. when you put them together, special things happen. Gotcha. Um, and so my black maleness, uh, that intersection, that particular intersection is the most salient for me, I believe. Um, and, and that's, you know, I, I don't know that I wish that it was, mm. but I think it's, it is because it's where I have to pay attention to my safety the most. Okay. Uh, it's where I have to, you know, pay attention to my interactions the most. Um, when I walk through the world, I think that that's all that people see of me. Mm. You know, they don't, they're, they're, they're not worried about, you know, um, you know, what's going on internally. They don't care about what, what I like, who I love, um, what, what my dreams are. Um, they see, uh, their, object of a black man and then um i react to it you know i respond to it i try to kind of keep myself in a space that that works and allows me to kind of fully actuate and live my life in a good way but the whole time you know i walk outside of my door and as soon as i get a foot off of the stoop if a police officer drives by or a neighbor walks by who hasn't seen me before they might be wondering what i'm doing there even Mm. though i'm wearing house slippers you know Mm -hmm. so that's what I would say for my most salient identity. Though I, you know, I, I, as I say that, I don't want to just throw it out as like, I mean, that's the reaction to race, right? Yeah, But like, yeah. Uh, from an internal, so I'll say when, when the external locus, um, that's, that's most salient from an internal locus. Um, I think that it wouldn't be race. It would be being of African descent and, and the, the culture around that. Mm. And like understand. Break you that know, down for me. Yeah. Well, I mean, 
you know, there's a certain way of living that everyone has, you know, everybody has their worldview. Um, and from an African centered space, um, there's pieces about how I look at time, you know, time is something that you, 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 you're experiencing, not necessarily something that you commoditize, even though I understand it and I can, you know, do it. I'm bicultural and all that stuff. Um, my, my inner clock is more about what's going on and not about what I owe other people, you know, mm-hmm. um, my, uh, sense of spiritualism and my sense of, you know, what, what, what's physical and what's metaphysical, I think is, is, is pretty specifically African in terms of, um, I see the metaphysical and the spiritual as a real thing. Yeah. Uh, it's something that we live and breathe and we interact with and it doesn't necessarily have to have any specific, uh, you know, name on it, you know, it could be, you know, God, Yahweh, Allah, Yeshua, you know, Buddha, I mean, not really Buddha, because Buddha, doesn't, that's not really how that works, but like, uh, you know, because people do that, right, mm-hmm. they, they, like, they throw out Buddha, and it's like, wait, wait, Buddha ain't no God, he ain't saying that, mm-hmm. <laughs> that was a dude who was trying to find, a, find, find quietness and peace, um, but, uh, you know, Vishnu, you know, whoever, whatever the spiritual system it is, it's like, I think that you, you know, you live that. You don't just kind of think about it in in uh, flat terms, you mm-hmm. know. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not, yeah. So, you know, little, little stuff like that. Uh, uh, just, uh, I think that the way that I try to live my life is, is one that, that subscribes to certain, uh, certain, beliefs that are in line with a, a, a tradition that goes back a long way yeah. you know like yeah. uh, personal character is very important uh, what you say and what you do and how you treat people and not for external reasons you know for you know being a good person is about how much your heart weighs not how much people like you, you mm, mm-hmm. so personal integrity not the image imp- image management or impression management yeah mm-hmm. yeah Exactly. So that that's kind of more of the internal piece, like, and and that's more, you know, that it aligns with my identity as a man as well. It aligns with my identity um, as a family person, as a husband, as a, um, you know, a son and uncle and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, those those are the salient pieces, the family pieces, the the obligation pieces, the the responsibility pieces. Mm, got it. So you mentioned black maleness as most salient, but also the spirituality and, and then your relational ties, husband, you said, um, son, did you say brother? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So brother. Yeah. tell me more about like the relational pieces. I've gotten a number of people kind of leading with those. What does it mean to be any one of those husband, brother, son? I mean, I think it, it depends on, a lot of context. Um, for me, it, you know, it means there's 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 pieces of loyalty, there's pieces of responsibility, there's mm-hmm. pieces of being a protector, there's pieces of humility in terms of being able to go and ask for help and uh, and to, to, to share you know the weight of things, mm-hmm. uh, which I think is I think it's pretty hard for a lot of people. Uh, you know, like a lot of us, especially, you know, I'll say people of African descent, we tend to be okay with taking on other people's burdens. Mm. You know, we'll easily, you know, what's the, what's the problem? Let me, let me, you know, I'll, I got you. I'll be there. You know, that kind of stuff. Yeah. But you flip it around and 
you know, you have a, a personal crisis and you don't tell anybody. Mm. You, know? you, you just sit there with it and you let it, you know, eat you away. Whether it's you know spiritual, financial, like physical, whatever, you know, we we tend to to try to put on this veneer of strength and 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 uh, not necessarily ask the people who we would. You know, conversely, if, if they were in the same situation, we would be all over them about why they weren't telling us what's going on, you know? So I, I think that, like, that's one of the things that I try to keep in mind. Um, but, you know, as you ask that question, it, it pops, the thing that pops in my head is uh, the critical questions from Fanon. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, who am I? Mm-hmm. Am I who I say I am? I'm all that I ought to be. And so, you know, what does it mean to be a, a brother or a son? I, you know, I'll list that stuff out to myself on a regular basis and then I'll try to validate it. You know, mm. am I who I say I am? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and if I get it, you know, it's like, yeah, I'm doing all the things I'm, I said I was doing. You got to always go to that. Am I all that I have to be? Am I the best that I could be about this? You know, and that's harder. Yeah. Um, but, you know, we you got to struggle and strive to kind of move forward. I want to back up just a tad because you said something that really resonated with me about this veneer, this the auspices of strength. And I'm wondering, how do you understand why black people would be so willing to take on others' burdens and at the same time not lay their burdens down with others? Um, I mean, the why is harder. You know, like mm-hmm. I, 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 I'm reticent to to try to give a why because I haven't done the research to figure that out. Mm-hmm. Um, from a, you know, my opinion or yeah, from your uh, lived space experience. of just conjecture, mm-hmm. I, I guess I could say like, it seems like there's a lot of cultural imperatives around being helpful. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of cultural imperatives around providing support and, um, you know, being, uh, a supportive person, being the person who takes care of people—that's that's valuable mm-hmm. in in uh, from an African-centered space. Um, it's it's part of being communal, you know. Mm, okay. And um, and I think that you know when you talk about people of African descent who live in America, so you know that that encompasses you know Caribbean folks, African folks, African American folks, uh, the under the you know the racial you know, designation of blackness or mm-hmm. however you want to put that, I think we, we get caught in the struggle of trying to understand ourselves through the prism of of whiteness um, and individuality of the space and what we've learned in, in all of our um, external spaces. You know, you go to school, you go to work, you go to college, you go to, you know, anywhere you leave the house and, and you're, you're uh, immersed in European centered or Western culture or whatever. And like, that's, that's very individualistic, but at home, um, you may have, uh, a lot of cultural leavings and a lot of, uh, continued kind of cultural beliefs around communal aspects that, that come out in different ways. And so, um, I would think that we would be better at that relational piece, especially I would say, you know, folks who, who went through enslavement and whatnot, Mm -hmm. like, uh, having a little bit less access to um, the full story, you know, yeah. the full way. So we have, you know, we have pieces and we have adaptations and stuff, but like getting that full self where you can fully be with other people and fully um, 
engage in a, in a more communal aspect of, of life, I think is, is, uh, is something to be strive, striven for. It's probably more healthy for us. Uh, but it's also fought against by all the external stuff that we see in the country, you know? Yeah. It, it really stood out for me when you were naming that because there's this stereotype about us over-relying on systems and asking for too much help, which does not resonate with my experience at all. I understand Black life in the way you described it. And so I was wondering about how you make meaning of that because... For me, it's like, yeah, this is exactly how most of us are socialized to operate. And yet the pop culture dominant white perspective on black folks is that we ask for too much or we require too much or we drain or leech the system and all of these things. You know, it's if I can, I, I'm going to I'm going to push back on the term stereotype. Mm-hmm. Um because you know, from a psychological perspective, from a social psych perspective, one of the truisms of, of, or one of the realities of stereotypes, the way you define it, is that there's some truth at it, right? There's some, oh, is there? Some kernel of reality. Yeah. See, not, I never. You know, you, you... Yeah. Yeah. Wow. You know, there's, there's, um, you know, if you say that there's a stereotype, is just another way to say cognitive schema or some other way that you kind of understand that a repetitive behavior that 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 happens that you can predict from, right? Uh, we use it colloquially a little differently and it's more derogatory. But I think to clarify the term, um, I don't think that what you were describing as stereotypes, I think it's propaganda. Mm, um, okay. You know, and so, you know, a stereotype is just, oh, I, you know, I, I've, you know, maybe here's a, here's an innocuous stereotype. Um, women have long hair, mm-hmm. right? So that could be a stereotype that, like, you know, most of the women in my life have had long hair. I'm not saying that's true for me. I'm just right. saying that that's what someone could say. And, you know, for some people that would probably be hurtful. You know, if you don't have long hair and you actually worry about how the length of your hair, then that might be a problematic piece that would, like, feel make you feel othered. Um, <clears throat> but it's it's there's some kernel of, of truth to that, you know, that, like, there's a lot of – that that's a value in, in the States or whatever – of growing hair along for women, blah, blah, blah. Um, but propaganda is if I'm going to come up with something that I'm, I'm trying to use this piece of information, I'm misconstruing information so that I can hurt you. You mm. know, and I can push forward like mm-hmm. a, a specific agenda. And this idea that black people overutilize systems and services, I mean, it's a lie. Yeah. I mean, there's just straight up a lie. When you compare us, um, in terms, like our utilization of like social services in comparison with other groups, and if you take in account uh, poverty, you take in account like lack of, uh, of access to systems and to, to to work and to things like that that come with racist systems. Um, and if you just look at the actual numbers, um, we don't overutilize. We don't. We underutilize. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, if you think about, like, I mean, anybody who's, who's worked with uh, first-generation, low-income minority students mm-hmm. in a uh, university, right? The first thing you hear, the first thing you know about this whole group of folks, these are folks who come from poor backgrounds, who come from working-class backgrounds. They're usually people of color, uh, black folks included. And these folks will try to go through the whole university system without ever asking Without for asking for a thing and feel shame right. about asking. Right. They'll get a financial aid package and feel bad about it, mm-hmm. you know? And 
you go to the honors program, Absolutely. you know, uh, usually <laughs> primarily, you know, white male program or something like that. And these cats are going to be, I mean, they'll ask for everything. Mm-hmm. You know, they'll look at you and say, why aren't you giving me more? You know, it's like, wait, wait, you got a whole, whole wing of the library right. that's just for y'all. You get books that are just yours, you know. Uh, you got like a librarian who's just for the honor students. You got tutoring. You got you get the 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 early registration. You get all that stuff, right? Yeah, but we want more. You should support us more, you know. And it's it's like wait, privilege begets you know the, this sense of entitlement. Mm-hmm. And folks who are um, coming from a space of non privilege think that they don't need to get anything. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I always get caught up with this. Uh, this notion of bootstrapping mm-hmm. like people mm-hmm. say you need to pull yourself up by your own bootstraps that's what you know like white america will tell black america constantly pull yourself up by your bootstraps and the thing that i always get caught up with is like what do y'all live in a cartoon like <laughs> that's not how i mean straight up that's not how physics work not even a little bit the hold of the you know you can't <laughs> put a strap under your foot and pull up one foot and then pull the other foot up and now you're gonna levitate i mean what kind of magical thinking nonsense is that right <laughs> But, like, for some reason, you know, black people are expected to to somehow rise up beyond all the the, the oppressive things, the oppressive systems, oppressive institutions, um, the destruction of wealth, the destruction of bodies and property, mm-hmm. you know, the, the, the subjugation in, in many ways uh, that has continued since the very first black person put their foot. Well, no, not since the first, because there were black people in you know, in, in, in the Americas mm-hmm. before they were the Americas. But as soon as it became a European party, you know, it was, it was some issues. You know what I'm saying? So, no, I don't. I, I think like, you know, going back to your question about you know this idea of utilization and whatnot, um, I think that we are both taught culturally from our own perspective that self-reliance is important mm-hmm. um and that we need to be able to kind of take care of things and take care of each other is more where we come from yeah. but then we're also taught by the external society that we have to do everything ourselves otherwise we're going to be subject to this stereotype threat that they're that they're they're putting on us mm-hmm. you know um and uh and so you end up with people who are over self-reliant mm-hmm. you have people who, who do way too much who get you know, hypertension and, and other stress-related il- ailments because they're not taking care of themselves because they're just running so hard trying to make things go, you know? Yep. I mean, I, and when I say they, I mean us. Yeah, you know? <laughs> that's real. I mean, if I look at, I mean, you know, it's like, you, I, I I mean, how many things you got to do this week? You right, know what I mean? absolutely. You know? And then, like, you add that, you put that against your your your, your colleagues, um, I who are, I'm sure are wonderful people, I doubt they're doing as much as you. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just it's just a cultural piece. You know, they, they make them jokes about different black immigrant groups and stuff like that, but it's all of us. Yeah. And I wanted to build on something you said a little bit earlier because you brought, you brought up the um, working class, first generation college students, and I was thinking about other identities you may not have mentioned. So what about aspects of your identity around social class or sexual orientation or ability status and things like that? Well, those are areas that I feel like I, I, I sit with a lot of privilege, you know? Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, as a heterosexual man, cis, cisgender male, um, you know, I can 
do what I want within like you know within a racialized context. Uh, but generally, you know, I'm, it's okay for me to express my love, you know, as generally as long as it's expressed towards a brown person, mm-hmm. uh, right? You know, um, there are limitations to that. Um, I'm able to, you know, go to the restroom without any problem. There's always a men's restroom with very few people in line, if any. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> you <true>. know, uh, <laughs> right? You know, um, I'm I'm right now primarily able-bodied i mean there's a couple things you know there's asthma uh there's some weight stuff you know but like at the same time i you know i can i can jog a, a couple blocks if i need to you know i can walk anywhere i need to i can mm-hmm. get upstairs and do all that stuff um my eye my vision is starting to, <laughs> to it's changing to, to not necessarily work the same way it used to but uh you know it's still um you know, I couldn't complain. I'm not wearing glasses now, and I see everything clear. Mm-hmm. You know, so um, I, I think that like those are salient in specific ways in terms of like how do I, where do I sit in responsibility, right? Mm. So um, I spend a lot of you know as a social justice oriented psychologist, um, and uh, you know I would consider myself an advocate and even activist in certain ways. Um, I spend a lot of time thinking about what privileges I have and like what I need to do in order to turn those privileges into some sort of, um, you know, ally plus for other people, you know, or at least like, you know, reduce the the footprint, you know, like, um, because there's certain stuff, I mean, people don't like to hear this, but a lot of your privilege, you just can't do anything about. Mm -hmm. It's just there. Mm -hmm. You know, you got to live with that. You know, like there's certain things that just aren't going to happen to me. If I'm walking down an alley in the middle of the night, I might have to worry about like some dude coming up and taking my wallet or some police officer deciding that I'm in the wrong place at the wrong time. But ain't nobody going to try to violate my body, Mm -hmm. you know, just generally. I mean, I'm sure there's somebody, but I'm okay generally. Yeah. You know, Um, I don't have to, you know, if when I was dating, I didn't have to tell people like take a picture of the person I was dating and send it to somebody and have them check up on me later on at night. You know, mm, just, those, mm-hmm. those are things that I didn't even know was happening until like my wife is telling me about <laughs> things that happened. You know, and I was yep. like, mm-hmm. really? Like, you know, Facebook and everything before. Okay. Okay. That, that's real. I don't, I'm not hurt. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, you know, it's, it's, it, there, there's these pieces, um, you know, I'm not going to have a problem. I don't have a problem walking upstairs, you know, and, there's nothing I can do to make that different, you know, except like make sure that the space is, you know, do my part to make sure the space is accessible to everybody. Right. You know? Um, so yeah, I, I, I do think about these other pieces. I think, you know, one of the places I work at, a um, I work at a institution that is Catholic, Lasallian and, and liberal, liberal arts at the university that I work at, uh, St. Mary's. Um, and, so something that's been coming up more for me is my Christian identity. Mm, okay. Uh, and so you know, I and when I say that, like I'm not, I, you know, I'm not going to fake or, or fake the funk or pretend anything. I don't go to church very often, if at all. Um, and but I, I did get raised, and there's specific things that I'm, I'm very, you know, I'm just comfortable with. Mm-hmm. Christmas is my favorite holiday. Yeah. I'm, like real talk. Mm-hmm. And I even have to stumble sometimes because I, 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 we have a holiday party, but sometimes it comes out Christmas party. Right. You know what I mean? Right. Um, and so that makes it easier 
for me in this space, right? Like, uh, when when I want to pray, it's fine. Mm-hmm. When I want to, mm-hmm. you know, when I want to have a holiday or a day off, it, it's the same. It's a regular time when I'm supposed to have a holiday or a day off. Um, it, when I speak about metaphor, um, my metaphors work really easily, you know? Mm. Um, and, and when I want to go out of it, and I think this is something that a lot of people don't get, is like, when you're in that space of privilege, you're able to navigate across those those lines easier. So right. I can use all these examples. You know, like if I'm if I'm if I want to talk about um, Islam, if I want to talk about um, you know Hindu religion, the spiritual systems, if I want to talk about uh, Wiccan, you know, mm-hmm. I can just do it and feel comfortable doing it. But like if you're from another space, if you're if you're coming from Islam and you want to talk about Christianity, people are scrutinizing. Yeah, you know, yeah. so. It's, it's. Um, I think those are those are spaces where I, where I, where I've been like kind of thinking about a lot recently, um, in terms of like the privilege identities. I think about the identities that way. Like, what are my privilege identities, and what are my um, identities where people try to oppress? You know. Mm-hmm. I, feel I don't know like if that answers your question. That answers your question. It does because I mean I don't know if all of them I said I said what social class ability sexual orientation I don't know if all of them um that you mention or don't mention are privileged or are marginalized but when people mention their salient ones first I wonder how the intersection of the ones that often don't come to the fore show up in intersection with those so I think it is something to be said for being a black man and talking about safety at night versus being a white man and talking about safety at night and that while rape might not be on the table as frequently there could be some assault to your body that is not rape that is physical though you know and so what what all of that means is always interesting to me right. i mean i you know i think that for for most people you're always you're, you're generally going to come up with your marginalized identities first mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. those are the ones that are are placed into into view right yeah. Um, privilege wants to be wants to be ignored. It wants to be um, invisible. I kind of I, I joke with students about, or I give this example with students of like those um, those those movies, the the new horror movies where um, when you turn the light on or you turn the light off, the thing like disappears. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like um, like the the ghost is in the room, and if you like. Get, pay attention to one specific aspect of the room, the ghost will be right there. Mm-hmm. But if you don't pay attention, then it won't be there. And it gets mad when you show it out, you know? I think that that's, that's what privilege generally is. Mm. It's like privilege is, is, is um, it acts on people. It's, it's a, a force in culture that acts on people to make them shut up. You know, it's like as soon as you start talking about it, it's like something's grabbing your throat and trying mm. to constrict it. Um, as soon as you try to look at it, some, something's trying to push your face to the side so you see something else, you know? So I start talking about male privilege and there's all these things that pop up in my head that will give me excuses for why I don't have privilege. Mm. Oh, well, you know, I could say, you know, make some sort of relational excuse about interactions with women. Mm-hmm. And it's like, all that might be true. You might've had a broken heart. Someone yeah. might've been mean to you. All this other stuff did happen. But in the, in the end, how much is your pay versus her pay? Mm. You know, mm-hmm. you know, like it, you know, it's. it's it, I think that that's uh, it's 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 an apt um, thing to bring up in terms of like, like it's a good question. I appreciate you asking. Yeah, 
And I've had this this um, conversation with a number of people where we talked about, so privilege, and the first person I heard that said it was bell hooks, but privilege is becoming easy to talk about. But supremacy, white supremacy, heterosex, heterosexist supremacy, like all of these things are less easy to disclose and to discuss. So I've, I've been thinking about it in terms of the privileges that I hold, the identities that have the the p- power to oppress and do oppress other people, and what it means when I think about it in terms of supremacy. So not the unearned benefits, but the ways in which just my being in a space is oppressive. You know. Yeah, you know I, you know I, I'm actually writing about this right now, and I, I see this. I see this. I see it a little different mm-hmm. than. Uh, because, like, the way you spoke about it was, like, kind of the Pegan, excuse me, the Peggy McIntosh um, kind of knapsack, you're holding privilege mm-hmm, piece and mm-hmm. all that stuff. And I, I think, you know, I fall into that vernacular, too. But I think that that, that might be some of the difficulty in, um, in connecting supremacy to privilege, right? Uh, because you, you talk about what you have, but you don't talk about the acting force around you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think that privilege is 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 a product of supremacy. Yeah, you know, like absolutely. It's, it's yeah, you can't have privilege without the supremacy mm-hmm. side to it. So if you tell me that people that there's white privilege, then white supremacy has to exist. Yeah. Um, and I hear people, you know, I've, I've heard some folks, um, like radio personalities and people like that, they'll um say something about like they don't believe in white supremacy, and they'll use the 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 terminology like they'll say like the verbiage isn't 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 what they like they don't like the idea of putting someone in supreme space mm-hmm. but it, it to me it's like you know if someone is if someone is stepping on you if someone is like you know tying you down then using different vernaculars to to make it seem nicer or make it seem like you're in a dominant position is just dumb yeah. you know it's like no you, you know no we live in a white supremacist state and we live in a white supremacist world and if you don't re- if you don't recognize that, then you you know you're not going to be able to to kind of navigate that system. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know whether you want to, I mean whether you want to fight it or not, you should at least know what's happening. Right. Um, so I, I think um, you know I, I I think that you have to be able to to kind of speak about both in the same breath. And Absolutely. I think that a, a strong way to talk about privilege is to talk about it as it being something that's bestowed. You know, something that follows you around, but you don't actually have control over. It. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's a uh, you know the way I kind of call it. The way I talk about it is the spotlight. You know, mm-hmm. it's like the, the spotlight of, of of male privilege will follow me anywhere I walk. You know, and if you want to stand next to me as a woman, you can stand next to me and be close to that male privilege. Mm-hmm. You know, get a little bit of that light. But if I walk left and you walk right, you're not you're not going to get that light. The light's yeah. going to follow me. Yeah, you know, and I think that that that's um, if you talk about it in that term, if you use that terminology, then I think you can kind of ease more easily. Your wow, I'm using my, I'm I'm speaking very simply. Let me try to say this a little bit more eloquently. Um, <laughs> take your time. Take your time. If you, yeah, if you when you think about it in those terms, um, I think that the 
the next logical step is to understand like who is holding, who's who's controlling the light, mm, right? Mm-hmm. And that's where you move that that conversation. It's like we need to talk about who's who's pushing the light from left to right, who's making it track you, and what happens when you go against the light. You know what happens when you try to like fight against that. You know, um, bad stuff generally, right? Yeah, so, yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, that's that's those are some of my thoughts on that, but. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I'm, I'm going to skip to the next question, which is a little bit of a departure, but in the context of social justice, an important function for me. What does love mean to you? What does love mean? That's a love is a complex emotion. Mm, <laughs> a complex emotion. Uh, I mean, you know, from a psych, from a uh, you know psychological perspective, it's a it's a combination of it. Could, some people have said it's a combination of. Um, a feeling of of happiness and feeling of ownership and a feeling of responsibility. I don't, I don't know. Like, I I think love is uh, it's an acknowledgement of connection. Mm, okay. Uh, um, I think that it's it's you know whether you're talking about romantic love or platonic love. Um, I think the first thing is that you need to see that person. Mm. You know. And the difference between, you know, people talk about real love versus non-real love. Um, and I think that a lot of times people put that in the context of what actions you're taking. Um, are you doing enough to show your love? That kind of stuff. Yeah. I don't necessarily agree with that. I think that real love is like letting go of your imagery of someone, your, 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 your tendency to make them into an object and mm. trying to see them for who they really are, you know? Mm-hmm. And... And trying to appreciate that, and working to appreciate that, and to to help them to understand that you appreciate that. Not a figment of your imagination. Right. Yeah. I mean, like it's it's concrete. You know, it's um, you know what they say: uh, faith is nothing without works, or something Mm -hmm. like that. Uh, Like you, you, it's. You have to live that love you have for people, mm. you know. Um, if you are, if you if you care for someone, then you can't just say it and then like let that stand when things are going bad for them. You gotta you gotta do what you need to do to be helpful. It doesn't mean you always gotta come out of pocket or something else like that, you know. But it it, it just it means you gotta sometimes be there when it's uncomfortable to be there. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Um, so or, connection can sometimes be uncomfortable, and acceptance can sometimes feel uncomfortable. Yeah, I think mm-hmm. that. I, I think you. I mean, honestly, I think that when the discomfort is a lot of times a part of understanding that there's something there. Mm. And don't get me wrong, because I think that some people misunderstand that and they think, "Oh, love is supposed to be this hardship." It's not that. Um, it's about being, you know, as you say, human as F, right? Like mm-hmm. you, your your full body understanding that this person is important to you, and that you're going to engage in 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 behaviors that are consistent with that. You know, um, when I to to kind of focus on romantic love, like um, I always joke with. I don't really joke. This is true. Um, <laughs> I say joke to reduce it, but like 
when I met my wife, the first day I met my wife, I knew that she was the person. You know, she was mm-hmm. like, I'm, I'm going to marry this person. I mm-hmm. knew that. You know, and, and if you need to, if anyone has to challenge me on that, you call me. I will give you the number to my to one of my best friends, Jarrell Hill. I called him that night. I told him so that <laughs> I had validation. You know what I'm saying? Like, don't, don't try it. You know, that night, it was real. Mm-hmm. Um, now, that's not to say I was, like, trying to propose and act a fool and, and mess it up. You know, that was to say, oh, I'm serious. I know mm-hmm. it's real. So every single action that I have with this person is going to be towards this goal. Mm-hmm. You know, like, it's not, there's no games. There's no playing. There's no no uh, petty fighting type stuff. It's, it's This is a person, mm-hmm. right? So I'm going to treat her like she is already in that space, and then we'll see if it happens. Um. I don't know if that makes sense. No, it makes absolute but, sense because uh, my husband said the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, I, I think you have to do that. And I think that's how you have to live friendships. That's how you have to live like mentor and mentee relationships. That's how you have to live social justice. Because mm-hmm. like, I think, you know, when you're doing social justice work, especially like work that's not about you, mm-hmm. when you're doing ally work, mm-hmm. that's like a real piece about love if you're really doing it right. Yeah. You know, uh, and then you have to be consistent. So like, you make a mistake, you don't hide the mistake, you fix the mistake. Right. You know, you you uh you hurt someone's feelings, you don't you don't get defensive, you you get contrite, you know, and you, you actually feel bad for hurting someone's feelings, let them know it and then try to make some sort of uh you know, give some sort of relief. Yeah. Um and and I don't think that people get that a lot of times. I think people think love they, they see love from a very um selfish kind of uh self-focused way maybe not selfish but self-focused way Mm -hmm. so i feel love and therefore someone else needs to respond to that love in a way that makes me feel good Mm. you know um and so like one of the things when i talk to young young men um about issues of consent and relationships and things like that is uh you know i don't know if this is going to another place no go for it so a lot of young guys think that there's some sort of, uh, and, uh, you know, young women too, young people, but, you know, I'm talking to young men about this. I think it's specific to them in certain ways. Um, there's this thing in the media that tells young men that they are, there are a specific combination of words that if they use at the right moment, they can convince any person that they're, that that's a target of their attraction, that you're the right person, mm. you know? So, you know, people call it game or whatever, you know, but like, there's this idea that if I if I say the right thing or I make the right romantic gesture or if I, you know, do this thing, then they'll like me. And it's like, you know, hopefully if you get to a certain age, you, you know, and it's not really age thing, but you get to a certain maturity level, you realize that that's not how it works at all. Right. People kind of like the people that they like immediately almost, you know, and it's, you know, it, it, it's like I always joke with them. I was like, man, you, you think that you had game, but this person... They, they saw you when you walked in and they decided that you were the right person before you even said anything. Mm. So you could have said stupid stuff to this person and it would have been fine. Or you could say really eloquent stuff or it's fine. And if you ain't the right person, you can say the nicest, best thing in the world and it ain't going to work, mm-hmm. you know? So get I, I try to help people get past this idea um, that th- 
they have some sort of way of manipulating someone else's affections and emotions to get what you want mm. um, and, and to instead spend more time on becoming comfortable with yourself and understanding that you can have an emotion, you can have a feeling, you could, you could be deeply in love and the other person doesn't have to share that. And that's okay because you don't want to control people. Right. You know? Um, but some people do and, want to control people. And that's the saddest part about it because they feel like if I don't control this, I won't have any love. Yeah. I mean, I think that, you know, like any other uh, human behavior or cognitive ability, um, you can always take things and you can turn it into something that, that's too much. You mm-hmm. know, it's like you can, you know, one cup of coffee for me is good. You know, a cup and a half is okay for the day. But if I go into two and three, I'm having a hard time. Yeah. Uh, when you think about love from a self-centered space um, and, you, and you're focusing on modifying whatever needs you have and not on exhibiting the love in a way that, that, that you know, makes someone else feel good and makes someone else, you know, feel loved, um, then that, that can be um, exaggerated in this, into things like, you know, stalking and, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, abusive stuff. And, you know, I mean, like that... You, you ask any dude who's stalking some woman who's walking around, they think that they're in love. They mm-hmm. think that this is a big love thing, you know. But the difference between stalking and a crush is just a, a small behavior, mm. you know. So, like, you got to get past this idea of, like, these, these objectifications of people um, and think about that. Again, going back to that whole person, right? If you know a whole person, then you can't, you can't. Love you can't like enact this whole crushing loving stuff with someone who who isn't reciprocating. Mm. It just feels weird, you mm-hmm. know. So, um, and I and I guess that's another thing I talk to folks about is like crushes. Like you got to get past crushes. Crushes are 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 like any other um, private emotion. They don't do anything except for make you feel a specific way. Yeah. You know, it's the same as mm-hmm. anger. You know, if I'm pissed off at somebody, if I'm angry at somebody, and I don't express it then I'm just, like, throwing anger at myself mm-hmm. because they can, they, they live in their life, you know? Um, the same thing with a crush. It's like, if I'm going to sit here and I'm, I'm in love with, with this image of you, um, I'm in love with all this stuff about you, but I don't say nothing about it. And it's the, what are you doing except for, you know, pining. playing through some fantasy mm-hmm. here, you know? Yep. But even pine, I mean, pining makes it sound good. It's not, no, it doesn't. It makes it sound good pine. to me. <laughs> it sounds... <laughs> Pining does not sound like, good to me. Yo, if, if you, if anybody out there listening to me, if you pining for somebody, you ain't said nothing, you know, or if you did say something, man, they making you pine. Like, yo, straight up, Mm-mm. you don't have to wait for love. No, like love doesn't make you wait. You know, like what? Oh, Luther, right there, right? <laughs> love, right, right. Uh, uh, I'm not gonna try to say the, the lyric, uh, but like, you know, it's just it is. It's, you don't have to wait. It's not. It's it's not that type of thing. When people put you off and tell you it's not the right time, they mean you're not the right person. So let it go yeah. <laughs> and find, and, and remember that, you know, at least there's at least, you know, three to 4 billion other people <laughs> who you might be attracted to in the world and you'll be okay. Yeah. You know? Um, so, you know, that, that, I don't know. That's, I feel like that went, well, no, you asked about love. So mm-hmm. love relationships. Okay. I'm going to bring it on. To a different way of thinking about it, what would the world be like if it loved humans like you? If it loved black men? 
Mm-hmm. What would the world be like? No idea. I thought about that. You said, you know, um, you know, you sent me this this information when you first kind of asked about whether I want to do this interview, and you know, it put me on my heels as soon as you asked that question, mm-hmm. and it, I've stayed on my heels because mm. when I think about my life um, and what it would mean to not just because I have love in my life, right. I have a lot of people who mm-hmm. love me. You know, like my mama loved me, my pops mm-hmm. loved me, my sisters loved me. You know, like I, I got people. My wife loved me, my friends. You know, I, I love them. Um, but to have the world love me, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? Like, I don't even know how to start with that because my life wouldn't be the same life, yeah. you know? Um, and it's like, I, I went back in my mind and I, you know, you, you ever, I'm, I'm saying, have you ever, I know you've seen Malcolm X, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, the, the scene where he goes back in his life and he sees all these interactions with white people and how they've been negative, right? I kind of, I, I did that when I was thinking about mm. this and, and it wasn't just like uh, scenes of white people, but just like scenes of like, what was my life like? When mm-hmm. did I have encounter experiences with racism? Basically? Yeah. Uh, and I just, you know, it just goes back and back and back. I mean, I think my first encounter experience, um, my first real encounter experience was like, I think it was like second grade. Yeah. That uh, makes sense. You know, and yeah, I, I had a, a friend. His name was Jason. I won't say his last name just because why, you know. But his name is Jason. Um, but I will say I remember his last name. And I don't remember a lot of people's last names. Mm. So that tells you that this guy was important second grade, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, he, was a, he was a little white kid. Uh, I think he had red hair and freckles or blonde hair and freckles. And uh, he was nice. He had all the G.I. Joes, you know. Yeah. Um, and we would play and it was fine. And then one day he just flipped and we couldn't be friends. I couldn't come over his house anymore. And, and it was getting close, you know, it was like this, I think it was towards the end of second grade, getting close to third grade. And, you know, fourth grade black boys stopped looking like black boys and start looking a little bit like black men. Mm. And I think that, you know, it was just, it was really clear that I couldn't hang with him anymore. And there was zero reason for it. Wow. Um, and as I've thought about it over time, I realized what happened, which is, you know, it was probably his mom wouldn't, I think, in fact, he told me like, I couldn't come over his house anymore or something mm. like that. Uh, so when you think about that, what does that do to, to the psyche of a young person? Right. You know, what, what limitations did that put on to, to how I would see my life and, and how I would see my interactions with people? And then you fast forward and you think about the bully who used the N-word or the, the, the teacher who made me walk across a room because I had too much soul in my step, you know, mm. in fourth grade. Um, wow. To what? To, Let yeah, me just pause there. Yeah, real talk. I mean. Made you what? walk across the room? <laughs> yeah. Because yeah, you had too is, much I'll soul in your step. Miss Monstrunsky. Uh, wow. Yeah, she. Yeah. She, I wasn't the only one. There was two black boys in that classroom. And we both had to kind of do that. And, uh, I mean, you know, horrible person as far as I'm concerned. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, real talk. Um, what were you feeling being paraded around your classroom for how you walked? I mean, it felt horrible. Yeah. I, I, you know, I, I still remember it. And it's, you know, I was like what seven eight years old yeah you know, it, it was it was not a fun experience i mean and as i think about it so in psych you know like a, a one neuropsych uh theory is about spreading activation so you think about one thing and then a bunch of other things pop up that are, are connected to it right so i think about that and i think about oh yeah well that wasn't actually like the, the the only thing that happened there well in third grade this this uh teacher made me let 
some white kid named Ian touched my hair. Wow. You know? Um, so, so those are my two things I remember from third grade is the Challenger being uh, exploding and this white kid touching my hair. Wow. You know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> In the same box. You know what I'm saying? So... Um, because I was different, I was other, it was a tragedy, it was another encounter experience. I'm different, right? Um, and I can give, like, a bunch of examples, but yeah. I, I think, like, to kind of come back to your question about, like, what what would it be like if the world loved me? I mean, I, I have no conception of that because it's so at odds with what history has been for the last, you know, half a millennium, you know? Mm-hmm. Um and the and it's it's so far from the actual reality because it's not that the world is neutral, right? Mm-mm, not at all. The, you know the world, the way that white supremacy has affected the world and infected the world, has made it so that the world hates blackness. So you know? if I gave like, you a magic wand and you got to make the world Bedfordland, what would you want it to look like? <laughs> I don't know if I wanted to be Bedford Land. Um, <laughs> I, you know, I, I think that it would be wonderful if. Um, I mean, I, I don't think I'm, I'm. I'm no. I'm no visionary around this. I think uh, Dr. King said it. You know, when people get judged by the, not by the color of skin, but the content of the character. Mm-hmm. And I think that if you, you know, that fits in with a philosophy of of multiculturalism and social justice in terms of, you know, the content of my character is my culture. Mm-hmm. You know, it is who I am from, you know, the lessons I learned as a kid to who I am in my work and what I do and what my grandparents and my great grandparents and my ancestors and my, you know, the spirits told us, you know, like yeah. all that is part of who, who I am. And that's more part of my character. The, the, the color of our skin, you know, my brown skin and your brown skin and other people's brown skin and different tones of skin. I mean, it's, it's, it's a ridiculous way to categorize and understand anything about a person. It tells you nothing. Mm-hmm. All it tells you is like the, the, a semi, like just a semi accurate understanding of where your ancestors were in terms of, um, distance from the equator, mm-hmm. you know? It doesn't tell you how people's hearts work or what they think or how they believe or what, what spiritual beliefs they have or, you know, how they see time or how they see immortality or the lack thereof. You know, like, they, it doesn't tell you any of that stuff. How you see other people, it just tells you, oh, this person is, is about three degrees lower uh, away from the equator to the south than than than, uh, than this one person, you know. Mm. Um, but we live in that, you know. Race is real. Because it's been made real and we live within this contextual space that has been um, completely dominated by uh, a European nosology, right? Um, And that was created for a specific economic purpose. You know, it's like, how do we, um, as Christian people, you know, good Christian, Mm -hmm. Catholic, or Anglican, or whoever they are in, 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 in Britain and in 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 uh, in, in what, what, what am I thinking? Italy and France and all these places, right? Uh, we're, we we believe in heaven. We believe in hell. We believe that there's some sort of uh, karmic situation that occurs if I do wrong things. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also really need to make the slave ship right now. You know, I need to design it and, and build it, and I need to push forward these these designs for how we're going to go out and. Uh, and uh, colonize these other spaces as well. 
the only way to do that is if I make up a philosophy that makes it so that the people that I'm impacting aren't people because mm-hmm. if they're not people, then my Christianity says that it's okay to do whatever I want because I have dominion. If they're not right? human, then I can do anything under the auspices of Christianity without sanction. Right. Which is, you know, another little, you know, uh, uh, philosophical rhetorical leap that was made because there are interpretations of Christian belief that say that you're not, you don't have domain, that you're you're more supposed to be a gardener, you're supposed to take mm-hmm. care of everything around mm-hmm. you, you know? And so there was multiple flips there. So first, just let me just let me do whatever I want to do to the land. And then second, let me do whatever I want to do to these other entities in the world that seem to be kind of human, but because it's not convenient, they're not. And pushing the conquest that occurred after or during the, the creation of this, like, you know, social Darwinistic belief sets, um, it affected everybody. So you have people in non-European spaces and people in African spaces who hold that same hate, mm-hmm. you know, that hold that same white supremacist belief set. Yeah. Um, you know, you, you look at like uh, advertisements in Asia or in South America or in Africa. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, I took this class, the thing that like blew my head up when I was, uh, I was an undergraduate anthropology major and I found out that Lux Bowie um, I don't know if you've heard of that. Do you no, know Lux Bowie not is? at all. Lux Bowie is a brand of uh, cosmetics. Okay. And they, they make soap, and they make skin bleach. And skin bleach and Lux Bowie skin bleach was, at least when I was reading that stuff, the most uh, sold, the most successful product in, in Africa. Wow. Because people were bleaching their skin and trying to look, look lighter. And it might not be that folks are going to deep extremes like you see with certain media folks, you know, but like people try to get lighter, yeah. you know, and what, if you live, I mean, like real talk, if you live in Africa, you know, if you live in, in a, in a space that's, um, close to equatorial or at least like in, you know, maybe it's not always equatorial, mm-hmm. but generally we're talking about tropic space and you want to reduce your protection against Man. the sun, you know what I'm saying? Break because down. people say that mm-hmm. it's better. You know, and you might, I mean, like, that's just, that that's a particular type of traumatic response, yeah. you know, uh, that that tells you what the world is. Um, so, like, you know, if, if you know, I, I don't know if I would even, if I need the world to love me, I just want the world to stop hating, mm. you know? So you would just rather move it to a neutral, if it could ever be neutral, than to go for love. Yeah. I think that if it's neutral, then I'll put it like this. Like, I have confidence that if, if the world was neutral and then you meet me, then I think I get some love. Gotcha. You know? Got it. What identities in others do you sometimes struggle to love? <laughs> you didn't tell me you asked that. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see. I, I, I think that. I think like anybody who lives in a marginalized space, you, it's always going to be a struggle to love people who, who have oppressive power, mm. you know? Um, it's always hard to become vulnerable when you know that in becoming vulnerable, you actually are vulnerable. Yeah. You know, it's not euphemistic. It's like, no, this person can hurt me in very specific ways that I can't answer, mm. you know? And so if I'm not careful, 
you know, if, if I don't like make sure that there's certain structures between me and this person, then um, then bad things that that are permanent can happen to me that I can't recover from. Mm. Um, I mean, you know, they just had this this movie came out, right? So get out. Yeah. Um, that's what's this big movie, and it, it, I, it, I, I just, it's so directly connected to some of the, um, the folk the folk tales that you get as a black person growing up in America, Mm -hmm. you know, from, Mm -hmm. from, from elders, you know, like this idea that, you know, you have to be real careful. You know, I'm not just going to let like your parents, not just letting you hang out with just white folks and going to, you know, I didn't get like, here's an example. I didn't get to go to boy scouts, you know, because there were no, there were no black people who were involved in the governance Mm. and and were no black people who were taking the kids out. Mm -hmm. And my parents were not, okay with me just going and being out in the wilderness with white folks yeah and you might say you know as you listen to this you know i'm gonna say this like if if you're a white person and you're listening to this and you're thinking oh my god that's horrible like let's not forget that black kids are murdered Mm -hmm. regularly yep you know and let's not forget that like the reality even though like if you go watch this movie about get out and stuff and of course there's a sci-fi aspect i'm not going to spoil it um you know, the, there's there's this piece about, but we know it's about someone being tricked into being put into a, a, a really scary circumstance. Mm-hmm. Um, that ain't, but, you know, actually that's not, but yesterday, but like if we want to put into a historical context, mm-hmm. a lot of those pictures of people being lynched didn't know they were walking to be lynched. Right. You know, they were, they, they thought they were somebody they could trust. They thought that they were somebody who was okay. They were walking, you know, to go do something or go help with something. And they ended up being strange fruit on the end of a, a noose. Um, and these, this is not outside of, it's not, this is not even outside of particular people's memory. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, so like when grandma is talking about being careful, she's talking about being careful because she had some traumatic experience mm. where she lost somebody who wasn't being careful, you know? Um, so, you know, I, I think and I you can be careful and still die. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can you just fit the description, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, or you could be going to church and you can be letting someone in to to to, to worship with you, mm. you know. Or you could just be walking down the street and a bomb goes off, you know. You could be three three little girls in a mm-hmm. church, right? Um, I think that knowing that puts up a barrier. Um, that you know, with with my friends who are from uh, dominant groups or non-marginalized groups, I have to think about that. And, um, I have to kind of filter everything I do to that. But I also, you know, I also have to remember that when, when I'm in a non-marginalized space, so as a man, I, I can't get like sensitive about the fact that women need to make sure that they're protected when they're Mm -hmm. around me. You know, like I, I just can't, when I'm dealing with, uh, my friends who are gay or lesbian, I can't, I can't pretend that I'm the safe person all mm-hmm. the time. Like, mm-hmm. if I, you know, I've been invited to drag shows and stuff like that, right? So I'll go to a drag show with one of my friends. Um, I have to be careful about how I am in that space. Yeah. Because it'd be very easy for me to turn that space into something that's unsafe for mm-hmm. everybody there. And I'm not the one who belongs. Yeah. You know? Uh, so I, I think that like, you know, I, I say that, but I, I put the caveat, I mean, I say the piece about me having difficulty with, with, uh, with privileged folk, 
um, with the caveat that I have difficulty with my own privileged identity as well, yeah. and that people should just have a problem with it because you know you're living you're living that supremacy. I wasn't thinking. I was thinking about it in terms of trust, like in all of my privileged identities, my responsibility is to earn trust and not expect it. Right. And I think Absolutely. that's that's the trouble people get into when they're like, why don't you just trust me and open your heart and have faith? And it's like, recognize your space in the world as not deserving of trust right now and that you might have to work a little bit harder to earn it. And that should be okay with you. Right. I mean, I, you, say it, you say it very eloquently. I'm like, I just, I'm going to have to like give you the slow blink. You know, it's mm-hmm. like, are you kidding me? Mm-hmm. Like, what have you, what, what, in what world have you done enough for me to trust you? Right. You know, like trust is something that it, it really is an earned thing. And I think a lot of people don't get that. People think, and it's the entitlement piece. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm entitled to you, to, to you making me feel good. Because, like, and, and I think this is the thing that people don't get. You are actually dangerous. You know, as a man, I'm actually dangerous. It's not that I'm some enlightened man who's not dangerous, who is just, like, dealing with um, the, like, I'm magnanimously dealing with the fallout of other men's behavior, you know? And that, and that I'll, I'll, even though I'm not that, I'm just going to let you believe that so that you feel better and feel safer around me. No, that's not the case at all. I am a man, and every single thing that men are dangerous about, I'm dangerous about, too. You put me in the right circumstance, the right situation, I might end up doing something that's horrible. Mm-hmm. Because that's how privilege works. You know, Privilege yeah. makes it so that you don't know that you're doing horrible stuff sometimes when you're doing horrible stuff. So you have to be conscious and aware of it at all times. You have to be thinking about, how am I interacting with these people? You know, what am I taking for granted? What am I taking from them? Hmm. You know? Is, is is my is my actual presence in this space harmful? Yeah, you know, and and people don't like to think about that. People don't like to make themselves not the good guy or not the hero. Absolutely, you know. You know so I, I mean, that's that's kind of one of the things that I think about a lot. Is like you know, you know, what 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 what's the impact of me being here? Yeah, um, and, and what's the impact of you being here? And please don't complain when I tell you. <laughs> mm-hmm. I got one last question. What do you love most about you? What do I love most about me? That's a therapy question. Uh, Is it? That, that's oh heck yeah! That's okay. a, that's a there's so much in there. Uh, don't act like don't say is it. You know that. Is. I've never asked that question in therapy. <laughs> um, <laughs> That is a straight up like get somebody crying on the on in the chair. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, I think uh, that's a that's a question that I've struggled with for a long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that you know once you really start thinking about it and you really start being critical of, of your your responses to that for yourself, it, it, it's one of those deeper questions that that change and and build and uh, falter and and uh, strengthen over time. Uh, I think that I love the fact that um, I can I can trust that I'm being congruent in, mm. in almost every circumstance in life because I try really hard to be. So even though I might not like something or I might not like the way I'm responding or whatever, at least I know where it's coming from. Yeah. I know what I'm doing. Um, I like the fact that I, uh, I love the fact that I'm uh, okay.
okay with who I am, mm. uh, which is I'm a social justice oriented guy, but I'm also a nerd, <laughs> like mm-hmm. a straight up, full on, complete, like give me my pocket protector. I am king nerd. Let's go. <laughs> you know, um, I love anime. I love sci-fi. I love, I like watching cartoons, you know. I enjoy having a television and watching TV, and I feel no problem with that. Mm-hmm. And I actually feel a little bit irritated with the people who are like, I don't have a TV. <laughs> you know, like, it means something. Like, okay, so good for you. Um, I like the fact that people see me as a loyal person. Mm-hmm. You know, I love that. Um, I love the fact that people trust me um, and that, I, that I've that i earned that, um, and I try to keep that. Um, I love the fact that I... Am uh, able to maintain my awareness and ma- maintain my 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 anger about uh, the 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 way the world is without letting it become destructive and um, and bitter. Mm. You know, my Angelou talked about bitterness, right, and how that mm. just uh, you know undermines everything. Um, I work hard not to be bitter yeah. and I'm proud of, of the fact that I'm able to not be bitter and I'm able to, to, to do this work with people. Like, uh, some people, you know, you get into a point and you, you can't work with the folks you see as the privileged folks, you know? Mm-hmm. And I do that every day and I enjoy it. I relish it. I, I love seeing when the light turns on, you know? Um, and I think part of that is in under, having enough self-knowledge to know that when I'm in a group of people who are privileged, then I'm one of them. Mm, you know, it's not, I, mm-hmm. I don't just get caught up in this idea that like, oh, my blackness makes it so, you know, it's like, nah, I'm privileged in other ways. Yeah. So we a bunch of privileged people in a bunch of different ways and let's just get real with it. Mm-hmm. And being able to kind of go there when, um, you know, I was this kid from, you know, suburban San Diego who didn't have very many black friends and didn't uh, have much of a voice when I was a kid, was pretty shy and all the other stuff. And now I get in front of people and I talk to them and I help move their minds and move their hearts. Mm. Um, and I love that. I love I love who I've become and who I am and who, and who I hope I'll be. Well, that is beautiful. That is a great place to end. Thank you so much for being with me, Dr. Palmer. I have really enjoyed this conversation. I've enjoyed it too. I appreciate you uh, taking the time to, or even thinking about having me on with you. And uh, I mean, you, your questions are really insightful and and, and uh, really uh, evocative. Uh, I, I'm, I'm going to be sitting with this, what if people, what if the world loved me mm. question for a long time. Uh, I think that was that. That's 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 some real stuff you put there. So I appreciate you, and uh, I'm glad we could. Uh, I could be on your show now. Thank you for joining us to connect and contribute. Go to howtolovehuman.com for more episodes. Find Dr. Candace Nicole on SoundCloud and iTunes. If you like the show, leave a five star review. Thank you, and see you next week. How to love a human.